Today we have uh, Thomas Mattingly. Um, Thomas is uh, at the London Health Science Center in London, Ontario, Canada, and Thomas is the corresponding author of uh, the Editor's Choice article that is slated to be published in the April issue of JNIS. The title of the article is Catheter-Based Selective Hypothermia Reduces Stroke Volume During Focal Cerebral Ischemia in the Swine Model. Thomas, uh, thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me uh, today. It's a, it's a great honor to speak for the large group of people who put a lot of effort into this project. Uh, Thomas, can you describe to me the design of the study and summarize the results for me? Yes. Yeah, so um, essentially, I guess to understand this, you, maybe we should take a step back and, and understand why hypothermia is uh, is important. It's a, it's a, probably the best studied of all the neuroprotectants, um, but it does carry with it some uh, significant side effects when it's applied uh, beyond a mild uh, level to the to the whole um, the whole individual. Um, in particular, those side effects do include uh, cardiac arrhythmias, uh, coagulopathies, and pneumonia. Cardiac arrhythmias being first and foremost on the uh, on the problem list. So early on, when people were looking uh, at this, uh, they initially started looking at this for cardiac uh, surgery patients and quickly realized that many of the same ischemic issues also applied to brain surgery. And so the many of these investigators started focusing on, well, can we do anything to reduce these side effects by being more selective about where the hypothermia is being applied? Um, and so this concept of selective hypothermia comes from that, the idea being that if you have an ischemic brain, you're just delivering the hypothermia to the brain and not you're not subjecting the rest of the body, in particular the heart, uh, to uh, the level of hypothermia um, because it takes a significant amount of hypothermia uh, to really reduce the metabolic demands of the brain to a level that's uh, a significant reduction. So what we wanted to do was apply this idea in a large animal model uh, to the problem of acute ischemic stroke. And so what we basically did was we took uh, swine and we created an MCA stroke via a small craniotomy. Uh, and then uh, we let the ischemia go for three hours and then we removed a temporary clip, which is how we developed the ischemia. And so during the reperfusion phase, we applied hypothermia via catheter. Um, this is a specially designed catheter made by a company called Thermoputics. That it's a coaxial system, so there's a large aortic catheter where blood is withdrawn and put through a perfusion cooling system, and then reinfused through an inner catheter that's placed in the common carotid, uh, and that cooled blood um, is then directed up to the ischemic hemisphere. And we did this in a one-to-one matching uh, model with 13 controls and 12 selective hypothermia animals. Um, 
and basically found that there was a statistically significant benefit in terms of stroke volume. Uh, in other words, we were able to show a reduced stroke volume in the hypothermia animals uh, to a statistically significant degree on imaging. We also looked at histology, and while we saw a reduction, it didn't meet statistical significance. Well, that's very interesting. I, I noticed that you used a, the cooling was performed under temporary balloon occlusion. Um, what was the rationale for doing that? So the the catheter is designed to allow you to control the uh, blood flow. So essentially, uh, we get the hypothermic blood uh, flowing through the perfusion system and then inflate the balloon in the common carotid. And therefore, the only blood going in um, into the internal and external carotids would be cold blood. So it just makes for a more efficient... Cooling system. It's a very efficient system to cool, and that was one of the main findings in the in the study is that we very quickly achieved moderate hypothermia within the affected hemisphere. Um, you know, we could r routinely get to moderate hypothermia, in other words, less than thirty degrees centigrade, in under thirty minutes. Wow! Wow, that's great. So, in this um, experiment, uh, you began the hypothermia after reperfusion, do you think that it may be worth studying sort of a, a bridge of hyperthermia, um, you know, during occlusion and then um, during the early reperfusion period? Absolutely. Uh, you could carry this question in a number of directions. You could ask, well, uh, this was so effective, would this be effective even if you didn't reopen the artery? Uh, is this effective more in reperfusion, uh, which gets to a mechanistic question of is hypothermia actually reducing the suspected reperfusion injury that seems to account for uh, at least some of the imagery uh, that's involved in cerebral ischemia or a cerebral ischemic insult. Um, so there's a number of ways you could play this, uh, whether you do this, uh, do the apply the hypothermia under no uh, reperfusion if you apply the hypothermia before you get to the reperfusion or as we did it, um, we really kind of pushed the limits of the system because by the time you get three hours of ischemia, take the clip off, and then it was generally about an, uh, a mean time of about an hour to get it set up and then to get down to moderate hypothermia, you could do that you know, in under 30 minutes. You're looking at about applying a therapeutic hypothermia uh, four and a half hours into an ischemic insult. So we intentionally pushed the limits uh, in that regard to see if this would have some applicability to stroke recanalization. Right, right. Did you find that you had any um, technical difficulties with the with the catheter itself, or 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 the hypothermic method that you used? Well, we did have we had 28 animals in the study. We were able to use 25 of them, and that was due to issues with one animal had a, a pulmonary artery stenosis discovered on autopsy that caused a, a cardiopulmonary collapse during the experiment. Uh, two animals we excluded because of brain contusions from the clipping, um, and we felt that that was a confounding issue. We did have one aortic dissection uh, during placement of the catheter. Uh, this was actually probably related to the um, 
placement of the sheath um, in the pig femoral artery. It's a very small artery, and um, if you can get it, it's it, and dilate it up, it's great. But if you do get a dissection, uh, it can be a real bugger to try and um, uh, try and navigate around that. But we were actually able, even in that circumstance, to get over 30 minutes of cooling. We were able to get in the right lumen, get everything set up. Um, but it is a it is a learning point for the future. The setup certainly does take some time, and we make a point of that in our uh, in table two, where we show the setup times and the amount of time it takes to cool. Um, certainly, it does take a little bit of time to get a 14 French outer sheath into the aorta, navigate an eight French or a nine and a half French, sorry, a nine and a half French balloon catheter through that. Um, we did that with an exchange maneuver uh, with a diagnostic catheter. Um, get the perfusion set up, uh, get the cold blood flowing, and then deflate the balloon. Um, that all takes some time. It, there was definitely a learning curve. Okay. And what about, um, I mean, did you, did you find any complications related directly to the hypothermia, you know, such as you might see with whole body hypothermia? Well, we really didn't see problems with uh, things like shivering, um, but the animals were under anesthesia, and this was a terminal study, so none of the animals were recovered. We had some issues with the length of the experiment, and this probably relates more to the choice of subject animal. We have a lot of experience using pigs in interventional catheter testing. Uh, but for long experiments, they become a little finicky from a cardiac standpoint. Uh, so there were issues with that, and we were unable to tease out whether that was related to what we were doing or just having a pig under anesthesia for eight hours. Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. So where do you think the next avenues of research in this area are, and, and do, do you think that this may be, uh, as you said before, translatable to uh, human stroke patients? Well, yes. Uh, to answer the, the second part of that question, the answer is yes. We are actively exploring uh, ways to try and translate this into the human acute uh, stroke intervention situation. There certainly are going to be some, uh, you know, issues with regards to the size of the catheter and obtaining a perfusionist uh, on the spot. Those kinds of logistical issues are things that we're looking at now. Um, from an animal standpoint, there's some fascinating mechanistic um, aspects to this that we may be able to shed some light on. Again, is this really affecting the is the ischemic damage, or are we actually um, providing neuroprotection in, due to reperfusion injury? And those are those are questions that uh, we have yet to answer. And I think this animal model would be fabulous to uh, to further explore those questions. Well, great. Well, um, yeah, thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me today. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Tar.